Tiffany and you One and one together make two And all the stories that are true Tiffany and you Welcome to Tiffany and You. I'm your host, Tiffany Yu. On this episode, we're joined by Linger Sangor, who is a high school English teacher and social justice advocate to chat a little bit more about how her school has transitioned to remote and online learning. Because of COVID-19, teachers and students across the country suddenly find themselves forced to use technology as they teach and learn we're going to explore the opportunities and challenges that this presents. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, everyone. It's Tiffany here, and you're joining us for this episode of Tiffany and You. I have with me Linger Sangor. Hey, Linger. Hey, Tiffany. Um, so I always like to start by sharing a little bit about how I know my guests, and Linger is part of the Global Shapers community. Casley, who was a former guest, is also part of that community. It's a group of people in their 20s and early 30s who are passionate about social impact and take on impact projects within their local communities. Linger joined, what is it, about a year ago? I think it was just about a year. Just about a year ago. And honestly, I've just loved the energy that Linger brings <laughs> to the Shapers. Always full of excitement always references to sports teams that I don't follow and Liverpool FC <laughs> and and superheroes or or something <laughs> I'm um, sad this isn't on video because you can see that I'm literally sitting in a room with a lot of different superhero paintings on the wall with the Spider-Man toy right next to me I'm wearing a Godzilla shirt a lot of pop culture is happening I, I love it and sometimes I feel like you show up at our meetings wearing wearing Always. outfits that I am not Always. sure what the backstory is. <laughs> um, so anyway, I just wanted to share that because Linger is much more interesting than what we're actually going to talk about on our show. <laughs> and, um, but Linger is also a teacher at the urban school. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Um, absolutely. So I'm in my maybe seventh year of teaching. I started teaching the second I left grad school and I currently teach at Urban, which is a small private school in Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco. Awesome. And what was the journey of kind of what, what led you to want to want to become a teacher? I think when I think about it in hindsight, it feels a little bit like I was born and then of course I was going to be an English teacher and I became one, but I think it's a little more complicated than that. Um, uh, I'd start by saying that it feels sometimes like education is in my blood. So my grandfather actually founded my high school in the Gambia, West Africa. Most of my relatives, my grandmother, my parents have taught at some point or the other. So it feels like it was almost my destiny in some ways. English is a little longer of a story because I think I grew up at a very young age, I wanted to be a pony. And then once I grew out of that, I knew I wanted to do something with books or with movies and I've always loved reading. I've loved being exposed to different worlds. I've loved the escapism of it. And it felt like reading and literature taught me so much about myself and who I was and who I would become. So I think being able to be with students on this journey as well and just using literature to open up avenues of interest, of curiosity, of identity 
has always really mattered a lot to me. So pretty quickly in high school and college, I decided that I'd want to be an English teacher. Mm, I love that. And, and I know your the second part of your job title, if that's what we'll call it, is kind of as an equity and inclusion advocate. Absolutely. I know that at one of your previous schools, you had won uh, this Teacher for Social Justice Award. Can you talk about some of the work that you're doing there or, or your interest in that? Absolutely. So I think, I mean, in some almost convenient ways, it feels like it's really aligned with literature, right? Because literature in itself explores identity. And like I said, gives students an avenue to explore their own. In other ways, of course, it's not because this is something that's very purposeful that I'm doing. But Teachers for Social Justice is actually an advocacy group in the Bay Area that tries to support teachers, support activists. And whilst I was teaching at my former school, which is called the Drew School, um, a colleague, to my surprise and absolute delight, nominated me for this award and I got it. And my students, it was actually really beautiful. So my students all came to the ceremony and they gave what's, a, I guess, a nine person speech about me. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, you can, you can find video. I have the video. It's so cute. Um, but I think why I got into this was just thinking about my life and how as a Black woman, as an African, I've just felt like I've been treated differently. I've been seen differently and often in negative ways, not always in negative ways, but always in different ways. And it started to really wear at me and bring me down in a lot of ways. And I think now that I have the power to do things that could make an impact in the lives of all of my students, but especially my marginalized students, it feels like a responsibility in some ways, but also a fervent, strong, passionate desire to make their experiences better than mine was and their experiences as good as they can be. And that just looks like different things, right? It means advocating for them with other teachers, with administration. It also just means supporting them saying, hey, yeah, this really sucks. And I've been through things like this and here's what I did or what I didn't do. And just reminding them, especially in primarily white spaces like our school now, like Urban and like my previous school, Drew, that they should also be there and they deserve to be there. And there are people there who have their best interests at heart. Mm, that's beautiful. And a lot of that really resonates with me, I think, as, you know, a, a disabled Asian woman. Um, I remember I actually had this experience where in my, in, in an internship that I had when I was in college, one of my mentors pulled me aside and said, hey, Tiffany, I wanted you to know that you deserved your place here. You don't need to have a chip on your shoulder. And to be honest, I just felt really seen. Yeah. Um, and called out a little bit, but, <laughs> but that's another thing. Um, but yeah, I find, I think that it's so, number one, it's so important to have role models and then to be able to turn for your students to be able to turn to someone like you and say, hey, this is the experience. These are the experiences that I'm bringing in with me when I walk into this school, when I walk into this classroom and for you to kind of be a mirror for that. So um, I feel like we could definitely have another entire podcast episode <laughs> about kind of kind of delving into that space. But part of the reason why I wanted to bring you on mm -hmm. is, as you know, as the whole world knows, absolutely, <laughs> um, we are living in the COVID-19 pandemic. And given your, um, given your role as a teacher at a high school, kind of wanted to better understand how things shifted initially when, when shelter in place came. How have things changed since the pandemic? 
I mean, in every single way imaginable, but I think I'll start big and get maybe more granular. But so my school has shifted like a lot of schools to virtual school. We are primarily using Zoom and Google Hangouts for virtual school. Um, we've changed our schedule twice. Once because of course our usual schedule just didn't feel like it would work, but we were trying to maintain some sense of it. And the second time was we cannot maintain some sense of it. We have to radically change how we see our weeks. So what our schedule looks like right now is that we still have three classes per subject a week, but the middle class is like a flex period where students can kind of be a little more free. All of our classes are shorter, meaning we're getting through a little bit less this trimester than we normally would. Um, we have built-in time for affinity spaces. We have longer lunches. We have more advising because I think we think that it's really crucial to maintain contact with our students as much as possible. And we're balancing that with, I mean, it just sucks to sit and stare at your computer all day. And mm -hmm. I think it's, we, we can't make the assumption that everyone has time to spend all day basically at school when you're at home, right? Because people's home lives are entirely different. So what we've really been trying to do is balance what matters to us, which is we see our students, we support our students, we love our students with, we want our students to feel relaxed and free. And part of that might come from being able to engage with us. And part of that will come from just having a little bit less to do, a little bit less on their shoulders and knowing that that's really okay. Because, I mean, I think what we're trying to do right now is model, this is really hard and we're gonna get through it by being kind to ourselves. I think that's what our schedule's modeling. That's what we're trying to do in our classes. Um, that's just what the world looks like right now. I think getting a little smaller, it's just weird and painful with moments of joy sometimes because right now I'm teaching two ninth grade classes and one 12th grade class. And all of these classes, the students are still doing their best. They're still doing the reading. We're still having conversations. It's hard not to feel sad when we can't be around each other. It's hard not to feel like moments that, you, that are natural that we take for granted, just like jokes and things like that. It's a little harder to have these sort of instinctive points of connection over Zoom. So it feels like we're feeling a little more traditional than we usually are. Um, and I think it's also just hard for our seniors and I think about them all the time because of course they've been at Urban for four years. This was their time. I'm pretty sure they're gonna be really obnoxious about it to everybody, but we were all really excited for it. And now it's just this with, potentially us being able to do something for them in the summer, but them not having these final 12 weeks to get closure for their high school experience. For sure. And, and at the urban school, it, it is closed through the end of the school year. Is that yep, correct? We're absolutely closed to the end of the school year. We're still open virtually. Sorry. <laughs> the building is closed. School is still open. Um, yeah. That's so interesting. Um, I, I do want to come, come back to this. Mm -hmm. So, We'll take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we'll continue chatting with Lingare about some of the changes that have happened at the urban school and in other schools. All right, thanks. And we're back. This is Tiffany here, and I'm chatting with Lingare Sangor. She is a ninth and twelfth grade English teacher at the urban school, which is located in San Francisco, California. Before the break, we were chatting about kind of on a I don't know if I would call it a holistic level, but some of the changes that have happened since COVID-19. And she was chatting a little bit about how the 12th graders 
Um, you know, we're kind of excited about finishing out the school year. I mean, I think some of the things I've seen on social media are around like prom and having virtual proms and, uh, and then kind of the pathways to college. Have you noticed like a little bit of a different sentiment among your, among your 12th graders around Around that college around like, yeah. Are they excited about going to college? Is it still high levels of stress? Like people? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I guess I don't think they seem as excited because I think they're excited and nervous about the entire thing, right? Which is like by high school, high college, more and more colleges are already saying they're going to be virtual during the fall. So I think it just seems Mm. really vision, not just starting this whole new part of your life, but starting this entire new part of your life, but still sitting at home and not really having the same ways to meet people. I even think about that with our incoming ninth graders, should urban have to go virtual for the fall, which I really hope we don't. And so far it's not really looking like we will, but how do you create an entire new life and world for yourself when you're just sitting at home? Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things you mentioned about not wanting to be a little bit more flexible with the students because you don't want them staring at screens all day. I remember coming into week five of our sheltering in place and now I wear blue light glasses blue light glasses all the time because my eyes it's like if I'm not on a zoom call staring at a screen I'm checking my email or I'm like looking at my phone or I'm watching Netflix I mean it's all screens (laughs) (laughs) or or I'm taking a digital workout class which is another screen exactly (laughs) (laughs) um which I actually think is a good segue to kind of talking about I saw an article in the New York Times it was shared um by a fellow shaper Nathaniel around how the situation has kind of exacerbated the digital divide. Um, And so I wanted to kind of ask you if you've seen any of that um, for your students. I know now they're at home. Uh, I've heard from some of my other teacher friends that, you know, within their home, uh, both parents are teachers, but their, their kid is eight, but they only have two laptops. You know, how do you navigate the technology that's there? Then also the connectivity. So kind of curious to hear what's going, what you're seeing with your students. Absolutely. And I do recommend the Times piece for everybody. I think that there are just so many questions around equity and access and even just identity during this time period. And, you know, we can start with some of the more practical ones, which is, does everyone have a computer? I'm really fortunate, my students and I are really fortunate that our school gives us all computers as soon as you get there. So we don't have that worry to the same extent. That said, I think questions around internet access, which I'd almost never even thought about before, are suddenly very pertinent with my student body because they all have computers, they all have Wi-Fi to an extent, but it can change your experience in a classroom when you can't log in or you keep getting kicked off or I have a bunch of students who can't ever put on their video because it's too much of a strain. I have Mm -hmm. students who have peers who are also in high school or middle school or college, so everyone's on the Wi-Fi at the same time every day. And that's before we even get, and that's just literally thinking about your computer, but when we get to access to resources, let's say usually I would show a particular version of Macbeth, for example. Um, I would just put that on in class. We already own it, that's fine. Now it's suddenly we have to ask students, oh, you know, do you have this access? Do you have that access? And I love their being mindful. So one strategy that we've used is sending Amazon gift cards for students who might want, who might need to rent a version of a film or something, but it's something that we just have to keep reminding ourselves that 
we're not in our physical space where we can access things more easily. Everyone's in a very, very different world. So playing field that is already not quite level, right? Because education is inherently not really a level playing field, even at a school like mine, is even more imbalanced. And then we can get, yeah. we can expand from that, right? Into like, what do their lives look like? So a lot of people have parents who are home and have siblings. But what that means is if they're the oldest, I've had some of my students tell me, you know, they need to go make lunch for one of their siblings. So that's totally fine. They should go do that. What that means is they can't necessarily be present in the exact moment of class. And that's just, again, more tangible things. Some people honestly are just miserable. I've thought a lot about some of our queer students or LGBT students who aren't necessarily in situations where they feel like they can always be their most full selves. What does it mean for them to be stuck at home? So it feels like there's just so many questions that we're thinking of every single day. And I'm sure we're still missing some. And it makes me frustrated and scared and just hoping that we can do the best that we can for our student body in a time that is just exacerbating everything that was already challenging. Yeah. I mean, one of the things what you're saying is, is getting me to think about is really around the mental health component, especially at such a young ish malleable age. Um, Is that something that your school is thinking about providing or, or you leave the onus on, on the parents to be able to provide that level of support? That's a great question. Um, We absolutely provide it. So we have two full-time counselors or one full-time and one part-time. I don't know. We have two counselors. Um, They started doing daily meditation leading. They're available to speak to basically anyone in our community. I also think that all of us as teachers, maybe this is just myself because I'm not usually someone who's as focused on mindfulness, but even in my classes, we've been doing a lot more stretching together and breathing together and just taking the time and space to just sink into how we're feeling. And it's almost a nice kind of silver lining that I want to take back with me because I think in in our usual school day, I don't usually ask my students to take five deep breaths and then like explain the color that represents their emotions. You know what I mean? I think that it's something that we're doing now that feels like we're doing it. I feel like I'm doing it in response to this challenge, but I'm thinking about how I can do it more proactively moving forward. That totally wandered off topic. <laughs> no, I, I think that that's totally valid. It's, it's funny. I facilitated a workshop earlier this week around mental health strategies. And one of the questions that I had proposed in the check-in at the beginning is what color are you feeling? Exactly. Right so, what line best um, represents your emotions? It's been great. Yeah. Or what weather are you feeling right now is Absolutely. another one I like. Um. Great. And then I'm kind of just thinking, you know, as, as you, you work with your students, um, even among the teacher, like what's the general sentiment now that school is going to be remote through the end of the year for those who are heading off to college in the fall or potentially coming back to the ur- or coming back to the urban school? And if, if it is going to be remote, like what do you, do you think, like what are people feeling right now? Um, uh, do you mean the adults specifically? Uh, the teachers, sure. the students. Okay. Um, everyone's just, I think everyone is sad to varying extents. I mean, I have some students who are introverts who are like, this is the time of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so that's amazing. Um, I think everyone is sad. And this is, we haven't even talked at all about, you know, what's all around us, right? So people are scared. They're scared for their grandparents. They're scared for, I mean, the adults are scared for their parents themselves. 
Um, a lot of people like myself are immunocompromised. So you have a lot of fear around that as well. And I think we also, we're really, uh, speaking for the adults, I think we're really sad in a lot of ways. I think what I love about my colleagues is that we just really love our students and we love being around them and we love connecting with them. And we can do that on Zoom, but it's just not the same. I think one example, um, a friend and I were talking the other day about just hallway highs where you have these students or these adults who you just say hi to in the hallway, or you might chat with them once in a while, but you're not, I'm not going to talk to almost any of those people until I next see them in person because we have no reason to necessarily have a Zoom call, but it's just those sort of little points of connection that to me create what the, the feeling of community. And it feels like a lot of that is being lost, even though we're still maintaining it by having all school meetings or advising meetings or classes, it's just not quite the same. Yeah. And, and for the, I guess I'm curious, like for the teachers, since a lot of you have to be rocks for your students, do you think that you and the other teachers are getting the support that you need through this time? Absolutely. I think it's almost funny. I think everyone is being a rock for someone else. And I'm just curious as to like, does this chain end somewhere? Because my administration, my department chair, especially my department chair, I think a lot of them are just so constantly, consistently reaching out to me, asking if I'm okay, reaching out to other people, asking if they're okay. So I'm wondering who's reaching out to them to ask, what does the circle look like? Because everyone needs a lot of support right now. And I'm really grateful that I'm getting it from the people I work with, from my friends, from my family, um, from shapers who I'm talking to about this stuff. I think it's really hard to feel like I'm absorbing all of my students' different energies. And I'm really happy to, because I think that's part of my job, but it is hard to almost bring the energy, right? When on days when I'm really sad and they're really sad, it's now on me to be like, guess what? Macbeth is going to be awesome today and here's why. And Macbeth is awesome, by the way. Um, but I think, <laughs> let it be said. Um, but I think it has felt like a huge strain and drain on me in ways to support them. And Similarly, I think it must feel that way to the people who are supporting me and the people who are supporting them. And I think even if we can't have what our usual community is, maybe this is one of the ways we're finding and creating community, right? In terms of everyone just trying to reach out to each other, be a support in the ways that we can. Or ways that we can. Yeah. I think that some people who don't feel like they can show up in the same way for their students, their friends, their loved ones, whatever, that's also really fine. I think we're literally in the middle of crisis and trauma and fear and this isn't necessarily the point where everyone needs to be a superhero but I'm glad that the superheroes in my life in my life have been supporting me a lot yeah I, I love the the visual that you gave of kind of walking down the hallway in the school and you know making the eye contact and giving nods and saying hi to people exactly I mean what do you what do you think the impact of what's happening right now will be on students? I mean, some of my other teacher friends that I've chatted with really feel like learning and growth is kind of stunted because we do want to be flexible that people that students are in situations right now where, you know, they can't uh, be 100 percent paying attention or, you know, they may right. have to step away and then come back. I think their learning and growth is absolutely going to be stunted and that is okay and unavoidable and something we'll just have to deal with in the future. And a few examples that I can think of 
at my school, for example, are, um, so in English, it hasn't affected us as much because at least in my case, I can cater my syllabus to just remove things. So we were going to read three Shakespeare plays this term. Now we're going to read two. We're still learning the same skills. I think that things like some of the languages, maybe math or science are a little more challenging because students who are going to advance to the next level of math would have learned less than a student who wasn't taking it this term. Um, so I think a lot of things might have to be recalibrated in different ways. What that can look like, I'm not sure, but I think what it must have, and I know it will have at least in my school, is just understanding and care and kindness. Because it's not really anyone's fault, right? I mean, we could keep our exact same schedule and teach as hard as we could and teach all of the exact same things that we usually would. But what are they even retaining? What should we expect them to retain when there's so many more things that are honestly just more important right now? Yeah, I, I think... I think one of the things I've been thinking about throughout this conversation is the fact that things look different right now. They have to. Exactly. Um, and, you know, this, this virus has, has kind of forced that in a way, and we're trying to adapt and be flexible as best as we can. Um, I did see an article, I don't know if you saw about it, if you saw it as well, but it was talking about how what um, predictions around what is going to happen when parents receive tuition bills for college of like 40, 50, you know, I don't even know yeah. how much college is now. I mean, um, with, with things being remote, um, and, and of course, I, I remember when we first chatted about this, you were like, I don't know if I can make sweeping statements about the future of education, <laughs> but, but, I, but I'm just curious, like, I mean, you are, you're a little bit closer to, to it than I am. I mean, I want, I, I don't know if there's going to be some revolution <laughs> or something right. around because because of if I think if I think longer term about this right your twelfth graders are about many of them are about to head to college um, student debt is uh, is you know preposterous in the U S. Tell me about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm yeah I'm just really curious. I guess kind of me, what the conversations happening. I think uh, it's good. It's hard because what this is going to need or like in, in terms of just the money is clear. I don't know what that can look like. Like I know that for my school, our students don't live there. Right. So let's say that a college removes residential costs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So now you're just paying for the professors basically. I'm still not sure what that can look like when there's not consistency. I mean, my, my peers and I still have class every day, just about every day or every class period we have, but my brother, for example, who goes to college, his teachers emailed the, him a packet basically saying, work through this and tell us if you have questions and that's your term. And I don't feel like that's necessarily a fair thing to ask for a full tuition for. Does that make sense? I think yeah. Yeah. Show me a lot of teaching, right, is about not just the content or skills, but the instruction. And I don't know how we can assess what the instruction looks like when different people are doing different things. And this isn't necessarily to shame the people who sent the packet. I think asking someone to change to a virtual way of teaching is a huge ask. That said, I think if we're being student centric, I don't think just sending material is teaching people and charging people for that feels a little, I don't know, it doesn't really sit right with me. So I'm glad that at least we're not going to be doing that. For sure. And, and it's kind of, it reminds me of like one of those, you know, um, 
So I, I also do some work in, in the diversity and inclusion right. space. And oftentimes, you know, the people who have the marketing budgets are different from the HR people, but they're, and it's just like different, like, and the professors aren't the ones who are being like, here's the tuition, bill, right? right? Exactly. It's totally a different. And then, so it's like this whole system is all trying to float effervescently together or figure out some way, some way to work, to keep, to keep everyone moving. Exactly. And then, um, you, you know, you get into people's backgrounds, right? So I feel like there are other things I could do with my time, but I don't have other like pressing needs like a child. <laughs> so I'm thinking about all of these, the teachers at my school or the professors who, you know, when they can leave their home and go to class, they're fully there, but we can't expect the same quality of instruction to an extent, right? From people who might have children at home or their children are home 24 seven. And that also has to be a priority. So I think it's all just really murky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll bring it back to high school and, um, kind of start to close our conversation, but what are you thinking? Um, are, are there like, what are the questions that you're thinking about in terms of what you're thinking this new normal for, for school and education is going to look like? I think something that's floating around in my mind is just about rigor and what is rigor, because this term has been way less rigorous in my mind. Like, I don't think I'm assessing as rigorously, assigning work as rigorously. I'm not expecting my students to have this same kind of rigor or attention they usually do. And I'm curious to what that looks like in the future, right? Because we're le part of having to be virtual or not having school at all is, has sort of led us to ask ourselves, you know, what is education? What do we need to keep so that they're being educated? How do we define that? And I don't think our definitions all necessarily sync up in the gigantic, massive, many million people who are all in education. So I'm curious as to when I think about being a rigorous or challenging teacher, what will that look like when we're back in the classroom? How important was that before? Have we, have I been able to teach in the same way? Have they gotten similar ideas or mentalities or points of reflection or points of connection out of my teaching if I'm not assigning them, for example, weekly writing? And I'm just really curious as to what, I don't even know if I feel like anything's necessarily going to change that dramatically, at least for me, but the questions are, what do we do? What does it look like online? What does it look like when we're back together? But what exactly is the heart of what we're doing with our students? Yeah. And it's almost like, what is the skeleton of the bare bones exactly. things we need to learn to, to just be good humans? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, sometimes I think about all of the things that I don't know if I wish I had learned them, but like personal finance skills. Right learning how to be in touch with my emotions and how to communicate effectively, you know, Absolutely. like, um, those, those are all important things that, uh, I think I'm still yeah, learning. I, I absolutely um, can't help them with personal <laughs> finance, but I do think this idea of being in touch with your emotions and being able to convey them, that is the heart of English. I think what I talk about in a lot of classes mm -hmm. is windows and mirrors. So what do you see in this work that is like you, how, why talk about it? What do you see in this work that is unlike you, which would be your window, how, why talk about it. And I think just allowing people the option to develop a lens, right? Internal, external, whatever it is. But I think the heart of what I do is 
asking people to think about themselves and their worlds and their place in their worlds. And that can happen virtually, but that's just, that's what I do in almost the abstract, right? It can happen virtually, mm. but can it happen virtually when we're all really sad and stressed and, you know, maybe Shakespeare doesn't feel as relevant right now. Though to be fair, he was writing King Lear during a plague and we're about to read King Lear. Um, but what does, I think that heart can stay, but it's just different. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I wish you were my English <laughs> teacher. I, mirrors and windows, I love that. Well, we can, you know, we can and do I, a book club, actually... but everyone hates being in book clubs with me. <laughs> were you... <laughs> um, I did read How to Be an Anti-Racist, which was the last right. book club that I missed. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, we, will, we will save that for the next podcast. I guess for our <laughs> listeners... Um, are there, and, and, you know, most of them, or I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to assume that the majority of them are post-college are well into their, um, into their careers. Are there things they should be thinking about or how can they support secondary education? You know? Yeah. What are, are there questions that we should be asking ourselves? I think you should be asking yourself, I guess some of the questions you've asked me, which is why, why does education matter? And I guess, depending on what your response is, just act on that. I think that a lot of people, if you're listening to this and you have the resources, donate money to different public school districts, to systems. I think a lot of them are really struggling. Look into the different GoFundMes. I'm sure teachers or students might be having. I'm sure there's so many places where you can donate a computer or an iPad. Um, So I think really figuring out if you're fortunate enough to have plenty what you can share with people who don't have as much. And if you don't have plenty, I think just be kind to yourself, be kind to everyone else. That's all I'm asking my students to do. And I think it's the fairest thing that any of us can do right now. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the work I I'm doing, some of our partner nonprofit organizations that serve people with disabilities have a program where you get, you know, ten dollars $10 a month for Comcast internet and you can, buy a computer for $150, right. like both of those very heavily subsidized and sometimes still out exactly. of reach. So, um, so yeah, I think just being really cognizant and it was interesting. I was on a, I was on a, or I, I watched a, a panel discussion over the weekend around, you know, if we could add another, if we could add like, what does the new Americans with Disabilities Act looks look like? And someone had mentioned, you know, now that we have moved to more of a, a digital mm-hmm. sphere, it's access to technology and not just the iPhone, right. but the Wi-Fi exactly. connection, which we chatted about as well. Um, I'd, I'd like to close. I feel like we had a really amazing conversation around the work you're doing um, in your schools. What's what's kind of happening from an education perspective now that things have moved remote? What are you doing for fun? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> my screen fun is definitely, you know, the unholy trifecta of Netflix, Hulu, and Disney Plus. And I'm watching, oh, and oh my God, I almost forgot HBO. How could I? So I'm watching a lot of different things. I recommend True Blood, which I'd never watched before and is extremely delicious and scandalous. Um, I'm reading, of course, given my profession, I'm reading a novel called Lagoon, which is about aliens landing in Nigeria, and it is hilarious and really exciting so far. I think I'm sitting outside and feeling a lot, feeling feeling the sun, looking around me, trying to take it all in. Um, I am, let's see, 
writing postcards, probably doing lots of, oh, I've started to do puzzles. I hate them, but they're, they're okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're interesting. Very frustrating. I actually have a friend. <laughs> very frustrating. I have a friend and what she does is she, um, I don't know if license is the right word, but she finds female artists cool. and um, she puts their artwork onto what? puzzles because uh, she actually did that for stress relief. Yeah, it's, I think it's called Jig Jiggly Jiggly Puzzles. Anyway, I'll send you the link. I'll include the link I in here already too. Into, I'm already uh, at that website. <laughs> <laughs> already at the website. Um, normally I ask our guests if there's a place you want people to follow up with you, um, if people want to continue the conversation. I know since you're a teacher, that, that might be a little bit different, but is there, is there a place where people can find you if they want to continue the conversation? We can also just refer people over to Shapers. <laughs> um, no, there absolutely is. I think if you have ideas for me, thoughts for me, dramatic criticism, questions, um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Linger Sengor. You can find me on Facebook, I guess, but probably LinkedIn. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank Thanks so, so much, much Linger, for, for being me. on my show. And All right. that's a wrap. <laughs>